Hello again, I'm Miriam Felton. Welcome to Yarn Stories Podcast. Hi, Fiber folks. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. I hope that you enjoy listening and that you'll subscribe if you do. This episode is a little different than the standard format. Normally, I talk to a yarn producer and then speak to a fiber expert about a breed of sheep or a spinning technique or something like that. But when I talk to an author about their book, we take the whole episode just talking to the one person. As a publisher myself, the intricacies of books and book publishing are fascinating. But don't worry if that's not your bag. We don't spend the entire interview just talking about the publishing process. If you're a regular listener, please consider sharing the podcast with a friend or leaving a review in any of the many places where podcasts can be found. You can review it in iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Facebook, or wherever. Reviews really help to bring the podcast up in the search rankings, so I'd appreciate that. One of the great things about this podcast for me is that I have an excuse to have a one-on-one conversation with people that I admire. Today's guest had me fangirling so hard. I've been admiring Bristol's work forever, and she's just one of those designers that I feel I could spend years knitting everything she's ever worked on, and it would feel like a masterclass in how to retrain my brain to think about knitting differently. Luckily, she has been teaching a class to help students do just that, and transform that class into a book called Knitting Outside the Box, which was published this fall by Pom Pom Press. The book is packed. It has exercises to help you understand structure and so many gorgeous patterns that I've already knit one, the Jemison Cowl, and have yarn wound up to knit the second, the Lillamore Shawl. All the patterns are named after notable women, and they'll seriously blow your mind. My favorite part of the book is that she describes the design process for each of the pieces, the iterations she went through, options that she discarded, and where the inspiration came from. But she also ties the designs and their processes back to the exercises for your knitting creativity. As you can tell, I'm really excited about this book, so the whole episode will be dedicated to my conversation with Bristol. I hope that you enjoy hearing from her as much as I've enjoyed talking to her. I'm here with Bristol Ivy, a knitwear designer, teacher, and creative powerhouse living in Portland, Maine. Hey, Bristol. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. So you're in Portland, as I said. How does that place influence your designs and your design process? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, I think it helps me, first and foremost, isolate the need for utility. (laughs) Um, (laughs) As I speak, it is currently zero degrees and feeling like negative 14 here. So... I need stuff that'll keep me warm. So like keeping things, I think a lot about knitting in terms of product versus process. I know that's like a distinction that we talk about a lot, but, and I think it's a scale, obviously. Like I, I really wish we had like a Kinsey scale for (laughs) product and process. (laughs) Well, and like, and for me, it changes not only with the project that I'm working on, but also then within the project. So like by the time I get to the end, I'm like, just finish the fucking thing. Yeah. 100%. Like I'm, I'm working on a three color stranded yoke at the moment. Mm-hmm. And some rows, I'm like, I should catch the floats. And on the other rows, I'm like, Meh. not going to happen. <laughs> not going to happen. But I think being in Maine, it's like you get that that really nice, but will this actually work? Is this something that I need on a cold day in winter? Is this yeah. something that I'll actually use? You're forced to to confront the utility of what you're making. Yes. Yes, most definitely. I'm also super lucky to have the community that I have here. Like Maine is, and Portland in particular, is an incredibly maker-driven yeah. community. Like it's it's bonkers. Like when I started working in the knitting industry, who lived here? So Cecily Glick McDonald lives mm-hmm. here. Carrie oh, Hoke used to live in Portland and she's yeah. just outside of Portland now. Doesn't Pam Fedek, Pam Allen. Pam used to live in Portland, lives okay. outside of Portland. Well, a lot Clara of people live, lives in Portland. Kind of, Clara Parks. Right. It's kind of all spread out a little bit. Like Hannah Fedig used to yeah. live in Portland. She lives south now. So it's like it's it's we when I first started, there was this amazing community of like people doing it for themselves. That's awesome. And it's continuing now. Like the Perrin is here. Uh, Leah Tebow's here. Alicia, Com- uh, Alicia Plummer is up um, north of here. Like, there's just so many people. Quince is like the building that I'm in right now. The building that my yeah. office is in. Quince is four floors below me. Quince and Company mm-hmm. is four floors below me. So it's just like this incredible knitting community. And so there was never there was never really a question that like this wasn't possible yeah. because I had so many people around me that were making it happen yeah. and doing it. 
That's really interesting. It's got to yeah. feel like like a you know platform to jump from that feels much safer. <laughs> yeah, it's like there wasn't there wasn't even a question of this being a weird career choice. I was just like, oh yeah, yeah this is a thing you can do because yeah. I'd seen so many people doing such an amazing job of it in terms of marketing, in terms of finding their voice and finding their creativity. Yeah. And it's just yeah, it's so great. That's really interesting. So, yeah, I love in, being here. I'm in Salt Lake City, which is mm-hmm. not like that. <laughs> <laughs> I have to have the conversation all the time. People are like, oh, what do you do? And I sometimes, like, if I don't want to have an argument, I, you know, I just say, oh, I'm a small business owner. Yes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes that's easier. I've Someone recommended to me on planes if, like, you really didn't want to talk to someone. Uh-huh. And i like, I'm one of the people that has my headphones in early right. on planes. Like, I have my headphones in when I'm getting my bags checked. Like, yeah. I just, just because I'm you sat next to me on a plane does not mean that I want to talk to you. Right. And I love people, but like travel time is my downtime. It's yeah. my time to like gear up for what I'm getting ready to do or to like come down from what I've just done, all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. So what uh, someone told me that on planes, just say that you work in insurance. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk about it. No one will talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. I haven't pulled that one yet. Yeah. It's always a little difficult. Like I'll, I'll introduce myself and people ask what you do. And there's always that sense of like, how okay, in depth do I want to get with this? Like, do I yeah. really want to tell them, you know, all the levels of things? Like, <laughs> exactly. Like, do I want, yeah. how much how, of a conversation do exactly. I want? Exactly. You have to choose, choose your adventure about like how in depth you want exactly. to get with this conversation. <laughs> and I'm so grateful that people are interested. And I'm so like, it's, I've had some really awesome conversations with people about it, but every once in a while in the grocery store, just like, oh, yeah. But <laughs> some of them like fall flat and some of them like turn into really interesting conversations. Yes. But, yes, totally. you know, I just don't want to deal with the awkwardness of sitting next to somebody for five more hours <laughs> after we've had that awkwardness. Exactly. Uh, Portland, thankfully, is a really good place to have that conversation because everyone That's is just awesome. like, oh, cool. OK, I get it. My friend makes, you know, yeah. hand wrought hand forged stuff like, like there's nothing tools. There's, yeah right, like, exactly. <laughs> there's, we have a we have like a professional cooper here like so someone great. who makes barrels oh my there's, god there are like artisanal cooper makers in maine like that's or barrel makers coopers that's yeah. like how we roll so that sounds like being a great an designer is not actually that weird yeah <laughs> <laughs> So we are here to talk about your book, Knitting Outside the Box. Which is still a completely surreal thing. This happened. I understand that. It's a very surreal thing to publish a book. (laughs) You're like, wait, these things fell out of my head and now they're on paper and people are buying them. What? Oh my God. It's so surreal. Yeah. And I I kind of like, I spent so long on the behind the scenes process that in my head, like we were done when the book came out. Oh my God. And then the book came out and I was like, oh, we're just starting. Yeah. Okay. I felt like I was done with the first draft and then I still had to like <laughs> go through like all the other drafts because I was doing, you know, like I had people helping with the editing, like, but it was right. all me. It was you know completely self-published and it was like, you know, I finished the book. So even when it was completely like draft done, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I'm finished. And then I was like, oh, but wait, you have to find a printer and you need to go through the proofing and you need to like, <laughs> yeah. not done, never done yeah, about that stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. I was. I was unbelievably lucky to work with Pom Pom Press, yeah. which is the, the book publishing division of Pom Pom Quarterly, the magazine, which is also amazing. Yeah. Amazeballs. <laughs> and it was just like the best experience I could have asked for because I got so much creative input on a lot of stuff. Like I got to pick the paper that was yeah. in the book. I got to pick the cover um, material. I got to pick the photo. I love the cover material. It's oh, great. It's like got a, it's got a texture to it that it, it makes it feel like like you could really grip onto it and pull it from a stuffed full bookshelf. Like <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? Like it has traction. Yes. That you yes. don't have on another book. I love it. Well, and the thought, I, I mean, I, it's got like a, it's, I think the cover material, it's called, the finish is called linen. Yeah. And I wanted that because I'm someone who needs like a secondary level of stimulation going at pretty mm. much all times. Mm-hmm. Like as I'm talking to you, I'm looking at things on my desk being like, what can I play with? What can I play with while we're talking? Oh, I'm playing with my fingernails. <laughs> uh, so far it's been a twist tie, a stitch marker and my <laughs> headphone extender jack, but none of them <laughs> quite worked. So I'm going to need to pick yeah, something up. That's, that's fine. You but, can swatch. So, it's <laughs> but I wanted with the book to have something that you could like have that tactile yeah. sense of like getting to touch something and feel something with your hands at the same time as your brain is working. Yeah. Because I feel like you, 
we all are such tactile people. We wouldn't do this otherwise. That's true. That it's really helpful for us to be able to stimulate that sense while we're learning because I think that makes it seal in better. Yeah. Yeah. So it's I like the fact that Pom Pom were like, yeah, sure, we can do that. Like, but the really cool thing that they did is they handled all of the admin stuff that I was like. I don't even know where to start, like finding printers, finding paper yeah. suppliers, yep. finding distribution, yep. all this, like they handled that. And so the whole process was so smooth and so wonderful because it was just, I got to put my hands on the things that I cared so much about. Yeah. And then I got to be like, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Peace. Yeah. Yours now. <laughs> and they were just, they've been absolutely phenomenal. Like I could not have asked for a better working situation. Um, even still, like they're just the coolest to work with. I love them. Yeah. I've met them um, at trade shows and stuff and they just yes. seem like wonderful people. They really are. So yeah, it's the whole process. It's still completely surreal, but I can't even imagine like how different it would have been had I worked with someone else or if I had published by myself. Holy shit, man. Because, oh. It's nuts. It consumes your entire life. Yeah. And I'm like, I think the book still would not have been published by now. <laughs> yeah. Um, because, it would have been like yeah. 300 more pages probably. Yeah. And I probably well, would be like photocopying it. So I feel like it could have been 300 more pages. Yeah. So your book has a lot of it, a lot of stuff going on. So there's yeah. not only patterns, it's full of creative exercises for people to like, you know, play around with, with coming up with making knitting their own and a whole section of stitch patterns <laughs> that, that uh, like change the structure of knitting. It just, it could have been three different books. It, yes. Um, we were ambitious. <laughs> So the book came about because I teach a class called Knitting Outside the Box, which is yeah. much of the same content, but pretty much perforce, the class is three hours long or four and a half hours long yeah. because there's only so much information you can take in in a single day yeah, about sure. creating a revolution in your own knitting before you start to cry. So me included. Somebody was trying to teach a finishing class that was six hours long and I was like, nope, nope, oh. nope, 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 nope. Oh, Big rough. old bag yeah. of nope. Yeah, that is rough. I was um, like, finishing is intense enough by it by itself, and like six yeah. hours of it is going to melt you your know, brain. I usually, I usually see people tap out on like when I do finishing. My class is usually like two and a half hours, and yeah. then the last half hour is bring stuff with you. Yeah, and we'll work and we'll on work it. on it. Yep. Right, but oh, six hours. No, oh. I was like, oh, just do do a two part class, really. Yeah, just you're gonna, yeah, you're gonna lose oh. people three hours. <laughs> People will cry. Yeah. But yeah, so like the book was my opportunity to take that class and just go for it. And there's more that I want to talk about and there's more that I want to do. And like I've talked to Pom Pom and we're not done. Oh, good. We're just, I'm taking a little time. Yeah, yeah as you should. Because <laughs> like, honestly, it's like you need maternity leave afterward. It's like birthing a child. And then you need like, you need time at home to rest and like live with it. Yeah. yeah and, and like really plumb the depths because like there's stuff. So how it's laid out is that there's the exercises like you talked about. There's three exercises to kind of think about knitting from different directions. And then there's three sections on how you might make those ideas work or any ideas work. So there's uh, looking at the structure of increases and decreases, looking at the structure of short rows, and then looking at the structure of stitch patterns that can manipulate your gauge. Mm -hmm. And with that chapter, there's a whole section of like an actual stitch yeah. dictionary going through it all. So yeah, like I it want it flows together really nicely, you know, all, all of the parts of the of the book, but like, it's a lot. It's a lot of books. It, it is a lot of books. So I wanted it to be something that like, you could come to it multiple times. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and find something new every time you wanted to. And I'm still, I'm still doing that too. Like I'm still going in on the exercises chapter. I still use all three of those exercises whenever I'm stuck yeah. on designing. I say, and actually that's a good reminder. I have something that I've been like tossing and turning on <laughs> that I need to figure out a design for. I should just like go play one of those exercises yeah. and see if I can get that sorted. <laughs> but I still use those exercises. I still look at the structure of things and go, okay, well, what would happen if I did it that way? And so, yeah, it's, it's, I wanted to make it as a resource, not just a pattern book. Like yeah. I'm really I love and I'm so proud of the patterns that are in there. And I think that they're some of the more thoughtful work that I've ever done. And I'm really grateful for, to Pom Pom for giving me the time to work on them. So I'm super, super proud of the patterns. But I think the way that you find a place for yourself in the knitting world and, and you find a place on people's bookshelves is if you become something that they can reference. Yeah. So I know like the books that have made a huge impact on me recently in the past few years were Sequence Knitting by Cecilia Campacciaro or Nora Gon's Cable Source book yeah. or um, Christine Behar's Modern Natural Dyer. Like yeah. 
<laughs> the hard <laughs> I bought both Modern Natural Dyer and Sequence Knitting on the same day. It was Ooh. day two of Rhinebeck last year. Nice. And I got them in the morning. And those are both easily like 15 pound books. Yeah. And you had to haul I them all around. Like traction the next week. Because <laughs> uh, I carried those books around all day. And I was like, I can't feel my shoulder right now. Um, But they're amazing, amazing resources. And they fundamentally change the way we think about knitting. And I think that's just having having a place to put that voice out in the world and and letting people know that they can be different Mm -hmm. from the norm uh, matters so much to me. And I wanted I wanted it to be a book that you could come back to over and over again and kind of get that reassurance that you don't have to do what everyone's done before. I feel like you've definitely done that. A major tenant in your book is that knitting has traditions, but knitting doesn't have rules. Yes. There's a lot of really strange like pedantries in knitting. So, so much. Right? Do any so of these much. like really, really, really bug you? Yes. Do you have a particular pet peeve one? Because um, I know I do. <laughs> well, it's, okay. So one of the, one of the exercises is Mad Libs. Yeah. Um, and you, when I do it in class, you pull three little slips of paper out of a hat or out of a little pouch that I have. And it could have any one of the three in any combination of direction of knitting, uh, type of garment and type of stitch pattern. Mm-hmm. And someone will pull out a square shawl from yeah. the uh, garment type. And they'll say, well, how do you knit a square shawl? And it's like, it doesn't matter how anyone else has in the past knit a square shawl. Yeah. It matters how you would do it. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think there's so much happening in the knitting world every day. Like, I don't yeah. know how many patterns are published every day, oh my God, but there's insane. over 41,000 knitting designers listed on Ravelry yeah, right now. That's crazy. It's bonkers. Like yeah. how? how? But with that, it means that we are both completely overstimulated by choice, mm-hmm. but also not given the opportunity to have to make do on our own. Yeah. Like, so I, I really think that it's important to be able to have the agency to say, you know what? Sweaters don't have to be top down. Sweaters don't have to be pieced and seamed from the bottom up. Like it's, yeah. it's, you've got the place to play, but it, what, is there like a specific pet peeve I have? Yeah. That really annoys me. Well, for instance, mine is yes, tell me Yeah, is um people telling other people they're knitting wrong. <gasps> Bugs the hell out of me. I'm like, <laughs> no, they're not knitting wrong. If they're knitting like combination and they've been told like they're <sighs> knitting wrong their entire life, like that's horrible for somebody. Yeah. You, you know, if they're not getting the fabric that they want, then right. you should tell them how to get the fabric that they want. You know what yes. I mean? Like, oh, you know, it's like yeah, you just need as to wrap this other direction. You, you know, want, it exactly. doesn't matter how you get there. Or like when you see an SSK, you need to interpret it this way because of the way you right. knit. Like, yeah, dude, nobody's knitting wrong. <laughs> like, don't tell people that. Yeah, yeah knitting wrong does not exist. No, it's just knitting not to get what you want. Exactly. And that's yeah. So like for me, that that encompasses both creating the stitch and also creating the garment. Oh yeah. Like there is no wrong in yeah. terms of construction. There is only to get what you want. And there there are certain things that I think are important as we talk about sustainability in yeah. making. Yeah. Like I really do think that you know you could be putting seams in your sweaters yeah. is a good idea. Yeah. Well, because you know it adds it adds a structure. Right, you know, exactly. so like you know if. If you've got a really dense, heavy, like cotton yarn and you're going to make a like sweater out of it, you really should seam that thing because otherwise yes. it's going to be down to your knees by the time you're done wearing it. Exactly. You know, and so like there are, yeah, there are, there are things that are a good idea. Right. <laughs> but they're not that will necessary. maybe make your garments last longer. Yes. But, but like, you know, if, if you, you want, if yeah, you're it's... completely a process knitter and you don't care about how long your garments last because like you just really, you know, you you would love and welcome the opportunity to knit a second one if the first one exactly. wore out, then cool, it works for you. Nothing wrong yes. with that. Yes, that is not me. No, <laughs> not me either. <laughs> but those people exist in this world. Yeah, process knitters, I applaud you all. I am not one of you. <laughs> uh, I, I've spoken to Hannah Thyssen about slow yeah. knitting, her book Slow Knitting, and yeah, we talked we talked a lot about process versus product. Yeah, it's, I am. Yeah, I'm, I I'm am not product that. all the way. Mm, yeah product all the way. I will, I will slog through a hundred miles of stock in that if it gets me the sweater that I want, or I will slog through what I'm doing right now, which is three color stranding and like Mm -hmm. twisting that friggin' third skein Uh, (laughs) (laughs) because it's going to get me what I want. I'm going to be happy with the finished product. Yeah. It's worth the effort. It's worth that extra little bit of time. I agree. That's where I am on it. Yeah. Remind me that in like 10 minutes when I keep knitting it. Right. (laughs) 
<laughs> I will set up a like marathon of something on Netflix. Yeah. So when I when I have like a really big you know swath of something boring to do, like I'll watch something really engaging to like yes. counteract that, so I kind of lose track of what I'm knitting and just get involved in the thing. And it sounds totally. like Netflix and knit is a really big part of your life. Oh my god, like yeah. it is mine. <laughs> so, uh, what's your go-to thing that you watch while you knit? Ah. Uh. Anything British and slightly dark. Uh, okay, this actually ties nicely into another question that I had. Okay. Because as I read your book, I noticed a lot of really very British things. Like yes. you reference <laughs> maths. So Okay, like, well, I will say, I will say, because Pom Pom is a British publisher, they changed some... Yeah, I figured uh, they changed the like, color, yeah. you know, spelling of color. Um, but yes. there's more than that. So like, I was like, maths, it could just be that they changed it to maths because they're a British publisher. But you also <laughs> have things like Spanner in the works. And so I'm like, okay. oh, she's a secret Anglophile too. Oh my God, not secret. It is out. <laughs> yeah, I have like bred from the cradle Anglophile. My dad is an enormous Anglophile. So my PBS station growing up every Saturday afternoon evening was like Anglophile yeah. day. So they showed like Keeping Up Appearances mm-hmm. and the old Doctor Who and like we watched all of it. That's awesome. So yes, I British colloquialism slip into my vocabulary way more frequently than I had I, I noticed. I always say that things are going in the post. Um, yes, things are going in the post. Um, I need to suss something out. Yeah, um, I talk uh, about like shifting instead of moving. Yes. I have a yeah. lot of those. <laughs> yes. It's, and it's really fun to see like which ones I pick up more depending on like what era I'm watching. Yes. On Netflix at the moment. Like I just this morning finished watching the British House of Cards trilogy from the early 90s. Oh my God. He's scary as hell. He's scary. He's scary. Yeah, that was that was a really, really good one to watch. I watched that in like three days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like anything British and slightly dark. Yeah. I'm all on top of that. Like Shetland or Hinterland and yeah. Broadchurch. And, oh, I love yeah. Broadchurch. Broadchurch is so good. Oh, and I love David Tennant forever so, and oh, ever. Have, okay, are you also a fantasy nerd? Yes. Okay, uh, Good Omens. Do you know that he's in Good Omens, the new Good Omens? No! <gasps> yeah. When does that come he, out? I don't know. They're shooting it now, but um, okay. Michael so Sheen is playing Aziraphale oh, and too. David Tennant is playing Crowley. Oh, God, that's so great. I just saw photos of them today and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm He's such a nerd. Uh, <laughs> oh, so so <laughs> that's so great. I, I go back to some stuff, some British dramas. Yeah. I think I think my my love of like British TV and my like Anglophileness started way back in my childhood when I checked out The Six Wives of Henry VIII <laughs> from the library. <laughs> and then like nice. I went nuts into like British, you know, royal history. Um yeah. and then like it very easily expands from there into British period dramas and then and then like all British stuff and yeah. <laughs> just Oh God! Wow. I swear that's it's just addictive. It's really, it really is. Well, and like um, sometimes if I watch a British thing with Sid, uh, my spouse will like I'll, I'll have to translate things. You know, <laughs> like he's like, "Wait, what the hell does that mean?" <laughs> like, okay, pause. That means yeah. <laughs> okay, so has there ever been a show that you've watched? Where the accents have been strong enough that you've had to put on subtitles. Yes, usually, uh, usually like um, Highland Scottish accents. Yeah. That's what I have a hard time with. I'm fine with this. Like I, I can, I can hear like you know Northern England, uh, like Yorkshire, like even heavy, yeah. heavy like Geordie accents. I've got that. That's fine. But yeah, like right. um, you know, deep, deep woods Scotland. Uh, sometimes gets me. I had to do that with Peaky Blinders. Oh, I love Peaky um, Blinders. I, I had to put subtitles on. I was like, I do not know what's going on right now. Yeah. Because your accents are so strong, Brummy. Like, they're yeah. just full on Brummy. Yeah. Um, anyway, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to watch. Did you watch Edward the King? Was that one of your period dramas that you watched? Oh, I don't think so. Oh, it's like a six part miniseries from the 70s. Um, That's great. Let me put it on my list. Do it. It's so good. My dad had it on. VHS and the hilarious thing is that I always in my head pronounce it Adour the Knig because he had moved you know how on the spines of VHSs they would like letter by letter write things out and he had transposed two of the cases and so it said (laughs) Adour the Knig um And so that's how I say it in my head because that's really funny. That's how I grew up seeing it. Um, oh, but yeah, it's about Victoria all the way through to her son Edward. That's pretty really great. Love it. Brilliant. So good. Oh, okay, that's definitely going on my list. I will find it, <laughs> even if I have to like 
by yes. weird, you know, like pirate copies on, of it. It has <laughs> been on Netflix in the past. I'm not sure if it's still there, but okay. it has been there. I'll take a look. I've um, watched it. We also have Amazon times. Prime. So like <laughs> if they have anything on Amazon Prime that even if I can buy it, we'll buy it through Amazon Prime. So yep. Yep. Sweet. Um, (laughs) now that we've gone on this very crazy tangent about it, let's get back to the book. Um, so, uh, the color palette of your book is, is really interesting. You've got a, it's all very muted and it's mostly neutrals moving into like blues and greens. Yep. Did you start with a concrete visual for the whole thing or did Did. it just like happen? Uh, I did. I put together, I'm a total Pinterest whore. Like I spent a (laughs) lot of time on Pinterest. Yeah. (laughs) And when I first started thinking, so probably back in like 2015, 2014 is when I started putting the pieces together Mm -hmm. for my book proposal. Yeah. And one of the first things I did was to make a mood board because I'd been working with Brooklyn Tweed at the time. I'd worked a lot with Quince and like mood boards is how I start to understand the aesthetic of things. Yeah. And it's how you've been used to working. And it's how I'd been used to working. So that was the first step. And, and the colors that kept coming up when I put together mood board were like really strong naturals, like lots of rich browns mm-hmm. and grays and celadon green and like that copper patina colors. So I knew I just, I wanted to keep that as much as possible. And I wanted it to be like a really, really tight color palette. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we styled with pink, like there are a bunch of different um, pink dresses yeah. or and it balances. Skirts. It's, and it does. And it was yeah. like the first time I'd ever looked at pink and been like, oh, I like this. <laughs> well, so, they're all really interesting like, pinks. None of them are like clean pink. They're like, you know, a little salmony or a little peachy yeah, or a little like, yeah. you know, none of them are like pink. Yes. And I'm still not into like the whole no. like, oh my God, Barbie pink. No. No. But like yeah, so raspberry, the colors totally all about it. Ras- raspberry is okay. Yeah. No. No, I just <laughs> can't. Maybe someday. Maybe someday. Not now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we would just wanted to keep that, that color scheme really, really tight kind of in that. I wanted it to look kind of antique almost yeah. like a little faded, a yeah, little, it's a little burnished. Patina, yeah. 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 Thank you. It's exactly what I wanted to go That's for. Perfect. So, um, <laughs> what we did is we put together a list of yarn companies mm-hmm. that we wanted to work with. Just people that were really familiar with pom pom people that I was really familiar with yeah. and then just started going through their color palettes and going through their yarn bases to see what might be good matches uh, to keep it in that palette. So there was a bunch of companies that we didn't get a chance to work with that I'm really hoping I get to work with at some point. Yeah. But yeah, that color scheme, like I'm, I really wanted the aesthetics to drive this book. Like I wanted, I wanted it to be a beautiful book in, in addition to being informational. Like yeah. I really wanted oh, it, it to be beautiful. So I'm um, really, I'm really proud of it. There's a particular image that like, it's like a uh, sort of a dilapidated wall that is taking the shape is of a llama. Is it on page 22? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> crazy so like that was there in that the was place there. that you we did that... not notice that it looked like a llama until we were processing the photos and then oh it was my like god. oh it's my like, god this needs to be in the book it's so obviously a llama it's, it's like so hello obviously... yeah <laughs> it's like the paint is chipped off like layers and layers of paint were on the wall and then the paint was chipped off like or it fell off the wall and the shape that it left behind is absolutely a llama yeah. Like it's got it's the curved good. in ears. Like it's for sure a llama. <laughs> it's so crazy. Oh my God. I know. Like seeing that photo, I was just like, yes. Well, yes, if you were, this. if you were ever in doubt that like, you know, that the universe was on your side, that was a sign. It was like, hello, <laughs> right? I oh blessed gosh. this book with this llama wall art. This is llama wall. I know. That house <laughs> was amazing. I, um, Where have was you it? seen King's Beach? Yeah, the, speech. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know the the Lionel Logue's office where it has that wall. Yeah, that was my that was my image that I sent to Lydia at Pom Pom for locations. Oh, sweet! Um, and so she found that, and I think she found it by searching "London houses peeling paint." Um, oh, that's beautiful. And that came up, and like that house, it was. I did feel like I was potentially going to go through the floor at some point, <laughs> like the birds were moving all the time, and I was like, "Oh my god!" But it was so beautiful, and the light was amazing. So it was just in. I think it was in Shoreditch in okay. London. It worked out really well because I was going to Shetland last this summer, 2017 summer, yeah. and then was going to stay through for Palm Fest, their fifth anniversary party. Yeah. And so we did the photo shoot in the middle of that time oh, between perfect. Shetland and Palm Fest. So I got to be there. I got to help with styling. Um, I got to pick models. Like it was just, it was perfect. And we got an amazing station. I also love the models. Um, oh, you so picked women of color. Good. Yes. And it makes me so happy because I, one of the other things that, you know, pedantry in our world that bothers me is people like being 
weird about models. Like, you know, about the size, like, don't be critical about the size of a model. Like, you know, if you want to see it on more people, look on Ravelry, like people will have made it, you know, (laughs) like, don't be critical about the size or what the model looks like, you know, like, like every single woman has beauty. So chill. Especially, I mean, and especially being able to offer representation. Yeah. Because it's so, so limited in the knitting world. Like, I mean, if you look, and it's something that doesn't get talked about enough, the lack of diversity in the knitting world is phenomenally bad. Like, it's, it's horrifying. Well, like up to this point, uh, the people that I've interviewed for this podcast have all been white women because yeah. that's the majority of us. Like yeah. I'm working real hard to make sure that I get other people represented in this thing. But yeah, like, there's a lot white of white middle class women is, yep. is the vast majority of our of our industry. And I am so grateful to every single one of them for building this industry. But I'm also like, okay, can we build it and then make it available yeah. to other people That'd and then not like Please. heavily critique them when they do come into uh-huh. the field? That would be awesome. <laughs> or men, you know, like there's there's yeah. a weird thing that happens when a man shows up at a knitting thing where like all the women fawn over him and I'm like yeah. he's a dude who like he's a knitter just like you like chill <laughs> yeah that's also a thing but yeah. it's yeah I don't it's baffling to me I don't know but it is baffling there's a lot of continual and well well entrenched prejudices yeah that we bring with us as a culture and as a people that is not just knitting related no but it's just like yeah it permeates everything. It becomes very apparent when you look at pages and pages and pages of patterns on Hot Right Now and Ravelry and see like one yeah. non-white face. <laughs> so yeah, that I'm, was super important to me to have to have representation. Yeah, um, I do my little uh, my little subversive woman of color thing um, yes. by using my, having my niece model for me. So oh, that's awesome. um, she's she is you know half me basically because she's my sister's <laughs> daughter and and then her dad is filipino Ooh. but she's gorgeous nice. so you know but she's also tiny which means i have less knitting to do if i need to make something <laughs> to fit her <laughs> nice. but she's curvy and tiny okay that's perfect yeah right that's perfect and I, yeah i definitely did have reservations about like the models um in the book are yes. six feet tall and like standard model size and like there oh, have been yeah. a couple comments about yeah. like i am not six feet tall how am i supposed to wear this and i'm like well i'm not either but you just you wear it and it's yeah or if you want it to hit you in the same place that it hits the six foot tall person yeah. like you know yeah. hopefully giving it. you the tools to that but it's yeah there was there was a lot of at some point you have to just like hit the button and make the decision and not try to make everyone yeah. happy because I think otherwise, again, that book would just never. Yeah. Yeah. You can't. You could drive yeah. yourself crazy trying to make everybody And then happy. you get the people who complain that the model wasn't pretty enough or the model is not good enough. And it's like, oh, Ugh, just. the hell out of me. Okay. <laughs> Stop. I'm trying. I'm trying. I promise I'm trying. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I'm like, you know, it's fair to say, hey, I would like to see this on other people, which is kind of the reason why I am really excited about my body model. Oh, my God. I love it. I'm so excited about that. Me too. Because like, you know, I could digitally create the piece and then like put it in the different sizes on the different like shaped models. And you could see like, oh, this is what yeah. it's going to look like on a curvy person. This is what it's going to look like on a... Exactly. Yeah. Yes. On, you know, somebody who has larger hips than bust, somebody who has larger bust than hips. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I'm really excited about that project. Yes. She's also from Portland, Maine. seriously Portland, Maine heart of everything it is she's amazing she's a really good person I like her a lot but yeah having that having that um, resource in this community is just going to be so so good Right. because I'd really love to be able and I don't know if it's going to be possible and if I'm going to have space restraints but like (laughs) the patterns I would really love to have the schematic page be an actual my body model croquis of each size oh, and how it fits. Oh, that would be amazing. Because that would just be like be, having people be able to see it on yeah. even a drawing well, and even if okay. it's just like the CYCA standard sizes. Yeah, but so that's probably not going to happen in your patterns just because like, oh my God. But you could you could do a short link yes. and have for each pattern have the, the you know sizes that could like click through and look at different sizes on different people. Yes, definitely. Or even like as a photo on Ravelry, like it's, yeah. it's totally doable. I just need to budget time to make it happen. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. (laughs) It's the time. The time is always a difficulty. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. (laughs) There's never enough time. No. Well, and like, uh, you know, I've been popping out these episodes every two weeks and it's, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, Oh my God, like was my life anything else before this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's a, there's a, an unbelievable amount of not knitting that happens. Yeah. In the knitting world. 
it's so an unbelievable much. amount of marketing and answering emails, yeah. staring at a wall, yeah. sobbing quietly in the shower, all that sort of good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Me, just putting that out there. Everything is fine. Yeah. Yes. So on Instagram, you mentioned that you have a hard time with winter and the lack of sun. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of other yarning people also struggle with this, myself included. Uh, so what what are you doing as self-care during these darker times? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I'm still working on it. Like I'm still finding out what my kindness to myself is, if that's, yeah. a, that's yeah. a fair way to put it. Because it's I've always been kind of of the school of like tough it out. Yeah. And just keep going with life as if as if it's not happening. But we live in dark places. Like we live in Maine, it gets dark. Like thank God the solstice just happened. But like it yeah. gets dark at like four and gets light at seven. So I am not in sunlight a lot of the day. Um, so I have a daylight lamp that I love, and then my office is uh, get sunlight most of the day from like early morning until right about sunset. That's great. And I'm actually moving offices tomorrow, but I there I was like it must face the exact same direction. <laughs> <laughs> I need all that light, give me all that light. I need all the light, just give me the light. Um so that definitely helps like just being in a place where I can get as much sunlight as possible yeah. during the day is super helpful because it reminds me that everything's going to be okay. <laughs> it's going to be sunlight. The light will come back. What else do I do? Yeah, I just try to it's hard because it's like this is our fast time. This is our like busy time where we have to do all the things and like everyone wants to knit and this is the best time to be working and releasing patterns and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But it's it's the time when because it's busy because other what other people want to slow down and be comforted. Yeah. And but so in catering to that, we also almost, need to be slowed down and comforted. Right. And it's like in catering to that, we almost take away our our own humanity there, and we almost say, yeah. okay, yes, other people get to be comforted, but you you don't. Um, <laughs> so that's, you have to power I'm through it. Find, yeah, I'm trying to find the places for that. So yeah. doing the things that make winter wonderful. So getting all bundled up and going out for walks or mm-hmm. snowshoeing or cross country skiing. We're going to go up this weekend for New Year's. My boyfriend and I are going to go up to Acadia National Park and go hiking in Acadia. That's great. Um, and it's flipping freezing right now. Um, <laughs> so it'll be into smart wool. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. I can't like bend over all the way right now. I have so much marble on. <laughs> but you just, yeah, you have to find the things in the season that make it beautiful and fun and worthwhile. And that's because otherwise I feel like, and this is something that I'm, I'm working with in general in, in life is just to sit with things and to be with things as they happen and not just wait until the next momentous yeah. thing happens. Or like, feel like you always have to be pushing, you know, to get right. all the things done. And like, right. if you've finished your list for the day, like you come up with more things to do. Exactly. Every time. And it's yeah. so dumb. Oh, I, I know that <laughs> so feeling. Dumb. Yeah. Um, yeah. So sitting with being okay, taking naps on the weekend and yeah. during the week too. Yeah. It's um, like I take naps during the week. So I have fibromyalgia though. So like sometimes, okay, I, you know, my brain just, stops working okay. and I need to sleep before I can yeah. work again. Yeah. I take naps all the time. I, yeah. The reason I have a couch in my office is so that I can take naps it's Perfect. because it's just, you know what, the thing that I've been talking about a lot recently with people, especially based on their current political climate is like the, the thing they tell you on airplanes, put your own oxygen mask on first, yeah. oxygen mask on first. Let me say that clearly. <laughs> You've got to put the time in on your own well-being in order to be supportive and be a rock for other people. Yeah. And I think that's like, I know that I don't do my best work as a knitter, as a designer, unless I'm taking care of myself. Yeah. And so for me to present something that I would be happy for other people to knit, I need to take care of me. Yeah. So yeah, it becomes, it becomes hopefully a public service and hopefully that doesn't sound too self-serving. No, I think, um, <laughs> I think it's, you know, even if it's just a reminder to everyone else, Oh, Hey, it's okay. Like, you know, to stop. Yeah. It's okay I, to stop. It's okay. It's okay to spend the day goofing off every once in a while. And I'm yeah. and I'm a big fan of sometimes, you know, self care is not goofing off. Self care is getting yourself out of bed. Self care is taking a shower, making sure you have food. Yeah, but sometimes self care is goofing off. Like sometimes yeah. self care is I'm taking the day and I'm not answering emails and I'm not even looking at my email and I'm going to you know watch my favorite movie and eat ice cream. Yes, yes, it's really helpful to sometimes be like, okay, I need to be gentle today. I need to be kind today. Yep. And the, the best thing I can do for myself in the winter is be like, okay, well, how would I treat other people in this situation? Right. Someone else was having a hard time. <laughs> would I cut them some slack? Or would I be an asshole to them? Like I'm being to myself. Yeah. That's probably be kind. Right. I have no problem being kind to other people. Being kind yeah. to myself is the issue for me. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I love the idea of your selfish bowl. Yes. And the horrible part, I haven't really had time to use it yet. Well, so let's talk about Um, it for a second. So, okay. So the selfish bowl is a little mason jar that I have full of scraps of paper that I have. uh, I picked pretty paper and I picked a pretty pen to write it on um, (laughs) and I decorated each one. And it's just like the little things that I want to do that I never make time for myself to do. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes when I do have that like spare moment of like, oh my God, I have free time. What can I do? I get so stymied and so completely mm-hmm. paralyzed yeah. by having to pick which thing is the right thing to do. Like, yeah. do I knit this like other it thing? Like, like, like it, it matters. Like it matters. Like whether you, you know, spend 10 minutes doing embroidery or yeah. you spend 10 I mean, minutes like making a special drink. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't single, matter. Every single time I am yeah. like completely useless and I end up just dicking on the internet instead Uh so these little pieces of paper are my little I can pull this out of a hat and because I pulled it out of a hat it's completely random that tells me what I'm going to do and therefore I can just do something and not have this whole paralysis behind it of what do I get to do with this little tiny bit of precious time no, I just get to go and play and do. So there's things on there like knit other people's patterns, mm-hmm. mend, um, like darn the toes of my sock. I need to do that anyway, but I don't give myself time and permission to do that because it's not work. Yeah. So it's 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 just like little little tiny acts of self-care, little tiny acts of things that kind of center me, make me feel like myself, but also put me forward in other ways, move yeah. me forward in other ways. Like yeah. I'll be able to wear my socks again. Right. I kind of see every act of making as fodder for the internet. So like, you know, I it, like my darning of my socks. I'm like, okay, well, I will, you know, take a picture and be like, I darn my socks here, have a link to a darning, you know, whatever. Like, you know what I mean? It's, uh, I've, I've justified all the things that I want to do as fodder for social media. Yep. That's how yep. I, that's how I made it happen. All that self-care that stuff. <laughs> I do that too. It, I spent some time last week, I think, darning a flannel of my boyfriend's that he's mm-hmm. had for years and that I steal mercilessly any chance I get. Yeah. And I brought it to Shetland with me and like promptly ripped out the entire elbow. Um, so I spent some time last week fixing that and it's just, it's, I haven't taken a picture of it. I want to, but it's just been, it's been so worth it just to see him wearing it again. Yeah. And also so that I can steal it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's such a nice thing to have those little moments where you're like, this isn't even like indulgent in any way, but it just feels so good to be doing it and to making, to be making forward progress on something that isn't always business related. Yeah. Well, and you know, it goes back to the old adage that a change is as good as a rest. Yeah. I hadn't heard that. Okay. You like that. Yeah. That like, so it's, it's like, uh, I most frequently, um, use it in relation to shoes, but (laughs) you know, that like, if you've been wearing the same shoes, you know, they don't have to, like, even if they're, if they're comfortable shoes, switching your shoes and switching to a different pair of shoes will feel better for your feet. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, but, you know, it's it's the same for everything. Yeah. You know, it makes it rests your brain. Yeah. To and do I'm, something different. I'm sounding like I'm like a horrible curmudgeon about my work. I love my job. I really no, 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 love I don't think to do it. Like every once in a while, it's so nice to just not because that's if you do knit, you're knitting for work. Like there's yeah, there's rarely a time hard. where you're making and it's not work related. So it's really nice to have a, just a step away from that every once in a while. Yeah. Well, your book has provided my two personal knitting projects oh. uh, for the next like few oh. months. So I've already cast on uh, the cowl that's in Spin Cycle. Oh, just, um, yes. Yeah. So I, I had one skein of spin cycle and then I ordered a second one that's kind of the same, but it was an oops skein in the first place. So like they're a little bit, you know, different color wise, but it's going to be great. Um, and some, and some, um, I think it's dragonfly fibers. Oh, that's going to be so nice. So I just, I basically have like, you know, three quarters of an inch. So I haven't taken any photos of it yet, but I'm sure by the time this airs, there will be more photos. (laughs) And then I've got, um, I've swapped with Amanda Jarvis. Um, yes. So she dyed me like a fade kit to do Lillimore. Um, oh my god! Which I'm god. really excited about. And uh, and and she sent me yarn to knit a black sweater in wool folk for her. So <laughs> <laughs> that was our swap. But I'll knit, I'll knit anything for her any day of the year. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna be it's. So you're, yeah, your book is providing my personal knitting for a little while. That makes me really happy to hear. Thank you. You're welcome. So let me ask you the question that I ask everybody at the end of our interviews. What would be your everyday superpower? (sighs) 
that <laughs> really hard one. And I've been thinking about it too. <laughs> well, so do you were you kind want enough to, to give me yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Okay. a heads up. Um, so like mine is Tetris. Yes. I have like great spatial reasoning skills and I know, you know, like I can look at something and know where it will fit and, you okay. know, the best way to like combine things to know how they fit. Yes. And I'm shit at that. Uh, <laughs> well, see, here's the thing. I think that I lean too much on the spatial reasoning and that's why like my designs are not outside the box. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, interesting. I think so. I'm, but I'm, I think, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm honestly, totally using think... your creative exercises. Like there are plans. I have plans. <laughs> Do it. Because so. I, I think that part of, part of what I love about thinking about construction differently and especially with garments is that it is Tetris. It's like you have these shapes that need yeah. to come together. Did you ever do tangrams yeah. when you were? Oh, I was yeah. going to tell you, I'm absolutely like taking all the, the, you know, different like short row segments yeah. and all the triangular segments. I'm making tangrams with them <gasps> so good, so that I can like, like build 3d structures oh and like shawl shapes and stuff like that. I'm totally going to do that because oh, I'm that really excited about it. it. In fact, That's I was thinking about whether or not to have my, my younger brother, uh, 3d print me tangrams of them Dude. because then they could be like, rather than being cardboard, yeah. you know what I mean? I could have him like, and then maybe, I, maybe we should sell sets. Oh my God. <laughs> Hook a girl up if you end up doing that. Okay. I want some. <laughs> I want some so bad. They're so, I was so excited. I'm like, oh, that's going to be so much fun. Oh, it'll be so, so much fun. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Hook a girl up if okay. you end up doing we'll that. Do. That sounds amazing. Totally we'll um, okay. What is my... Yeah, your everyday superpower. What is the everyday superpower? I'm really good at thrift shopping. Nice. Like I almost always come out with something completely remarkable um, and totally nice. me. So you've got that radar. I've got the radar. I'm really radar. good at shopping quickly and shopping for exactly the thing that I want. What else? Mm. But that's not particularly a superpower. It's kind of just like a, well, it's a useful skill. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. I think yeah. I know what it is. Okay. Go. Completely not useful at all. Doesn't matter. Entirely <laughs> unuseful. So I have absolutely no memory for faces and names unless, as we talked about before, you're a British actor, in which case I can tell anyone who wants to listen exactly what they've been in, who they started with, oh, <laughs> when nice. it came out, when you're, I watched it. So you're basically IMDb for British actors. I am basically IMDb for British actors. And that's, also... That's great. That's wonderful. Uh, reality TV contestants for things that I really enjoy. So like RuPaul's <laughs> Drag Race. Yes. I can tell you every single character from RuPaul's oh Drag God, Race. Oh my God, I love RuPaul's Drag Race. I, I love it so much. Yeah, it's so wonderful. Just like the sheer artistry in the makeup. Yes. Like watching, yes. you know, somebody transform their face into like a completely different face with makeup is astounding. I, I look at that, I'm like, oh, I could do that. And then I try it. I'm like, I can't do that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, my niece is like, oh, I have this new highlighting contour palette. And I'm like, I have no idea what those things are. I know what they are. I just put them on me and I look like I've rolled around in dirt. Like, I just don't. (laughs) It's just bad. You need some YouTube tutorials. I know. Have you seen, gosh, I don't know what her name is. JJ Smith is her Twitter username. But uh, she has a video called How to Contour 101. Oh, nice. Um, and it's something along the lines of makeup is for getting men to marry you. Contouring is for getting able to steal men's souls. <laughs> um, and one of them was like, a man walked into me once when I was contouring and I had to pretend I was schizophrenic and I was rolling around in cat shit to get him to leave me alone. Because <laughs> they can't know we're shapeshifters. They can't know we can change the bones of our faces. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Oh, you need to. It's amazing. It is. It is hilarious. Um, but yes, RuPaul's Drag Race contestants. Season one through th- season 10. Were we on season 10? I think so. Yeah. I can reel those off really quick. Nice. Yes. Uh, so awesome. if, if RuPaul ever did a British series. Oh, you'd be on top of that. Oh my God. I'd be amazing. It would just, <laughs> it would be like, I would win all of the pub quizzes on that. Yeah. In a heartbeat. Yeah. Well, the <laughs> fact that you know pub quizzes, also an Anglophile thing. Also an Anglophile thing. Yes. And queuing. Yeah. Because you, I think you had talked about queuing at some point anyway. yeah but yeah yeah i was yeah there were many many <laughs> anglophile <laughs> moments <laughs> i know i just i don't even notice them anymore they're I just know. they're just there it's terrible yeah, but, you know like a fellow anglophile was like hey yeah. hey <laughs> <laughs> you're one of us one, one of us, us. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! Oh, that was perfect. That was that was good. My partner and I, um, we have many things like that. Anytime somebody mm-hmm. says one of us, we go one of us, <laughs> and uh, we also are a big fan of Edgar Wright movies. 
Yes. So um, anytime anybody says judge, jury, and executioner, we say, I'm not, you're not judge, jury, and executioner. <laughs> and uh, anytime anybody says um, the greater good, we go, the, the greater, greater good. good. We do that too. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I like to just drop it in conversation when we're with other people and see if Will notices, like see if he That's like, awesome. yeah, he looks at me and I'm like, yeah, I, I did just say that. Did. <laughs> Thanks, Bristol. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I've posted the Ravelry links to the patterns from the book in the show notes, but I can wholeheartedly recommend this book as an addition to your library, even if you never knit any of these patterns. The exercises in it will help you think about knitting differently and will just broaden your mind when it comes to shapes and structure. I've also got the affiliate links to the books that we talked about and an affiliate link to buy Bristol's book through Amazon, and those will give me a little bit of Amazon kickback. So I'd appreciate if you would like to use those. Those links are in the show notes. I've posted a photo of my finished Jemison cowl in the show notes as well, if you'd like to see that. Bristol has been kind enough to give away a copy of her Haven shawl pattern for us. So if you'd like to enter the drawing for that, you can do so in the show notes on the page for this podcast episode at yarnstoriespodcast.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this interview or on the podcast in general. I feel like I've basically been working in a vacuum, just hoping that you all are enjoying this. I'd love to get some feedback, positive, negative, or anywhere in between. Like, what has been your favorite episode so far? Who would you like to hear from in the future? Really just anything. I want to build the community. I want to make this a place where you can be heard. So please, you know, send me anything. That'd be great. Thanks. This podcast was produced in Salt Lake City, Utah, with production help from Sid Fallon. Music is by the ever-elusive Breakmaster Cylinder. Join me again in two weeks to talk to Michelle Rose Orn, creative director of Swan's Island Yarn. Bye. Hey, babe. Hi. What you doing in the closet? <laughs>